Hi, this is Stoyana with the Tech After Five podcast. And once again, I've assembled my awesome friends to kind of figure out what we've learned from another week under quarantine. So uh, I've got uh, Carol Hamilton with me. Hello, hello, hello. You can, if you don't talk, the focus right. doesn't go to you. It's podcast, girl. Podcast, pay attention. Okay, I'm in. Don't, don't make me switch the camera to you. All right. Yes. And uh, I've got uh, my pal, Scott Pfeiffer. Hello, friend. Hey, buddy. It's always good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, super glad. I mean, it, this has been a uh, interesting week, but I, I learned some exercise this week. And so I thought I wanted to try it out on us first, and then we'll go through it. And so the, the exercise was this, and this was uh, something I read in an article uh, about the Brene Brown, something that she was doing. You know, they've got team meetings, lots of folks on them. And the thing is they do a two word check-in. And so the question is, uh, if I said, uh, give, give me uh, two words about how you're feeling, what would uh, those, those two words be? So um, Carol, how about you first? Give me your two words. Well, never one to follow rules, just keep swimming. <laughs> I, I'm gonna challenge I need you. Three. I'm challenging you for a second. Uh, I said, "How are you feeling?" In two words. Uh, um, mildly optimistic. No, I'm not judging. That's part right, of the no process. Judgment I'm, not, there. I'm not judging. <laughs> Got two words. Not judging. Uncertain, bold. Mm. Uh, mine are uh, um, anxious, excited. Um, so again, part of this process, part of this was to um, get an idea is to get, you know, what other people, how they feel and kind of get a sense that we're not all in the same spot. I mean, that's the thing. Now there's three of us, it's a little bit different. So let me tell you what I did. I, I cheated on you guys here a little bit. I asked a small group of friends this question this morning so that we could have some of their answers in. I gave them the exact same rules in two words only. How are you feeling? Uh, I got excited and hungry. I like that. Parsh Wait, I'm sorry. I'm not judging. That was part of it. Not judging. Partially <laughs> cloudy. Uh, ANSI AF. I don't know what AF stands for. I'm just kidding. I know exactly. I know exactly. The author contends that might be three words. Uh, gluttonous, lethargic, no schedule, calm, faith, very anxious, Highly caffeinated, not bad, frightfully well, and lucky and discombobulated. Um, people are all over the place, aren't they? Some are feeling calm, some are not so calm, but it's kind of nice. I mean, in a check-in environment, this is always a worry to me. I've done a bunch of events and you kind of ask people, and a lot of times you really get that sense. They're just telling you what they think you want to hear. There's something in this, Carol, I think that when we talk to people, uh, they're trying to take care of us more than they are trying to tell us how they're really feeling about how the world's going on. Well, and one of the things that leaped, leapt to mind as you were reading that is I thought, I wonder what they would have said. To your point, would they have been a little more sugar-coated a month ago? 
than they are now. And I wonder if the gloves are starting to come off where we're just saying, you know, I'm just going to tell it like it is because A, I know everybody's in this with me. And B, it, it's just wearing on you. Uh, and I think we've talked a lot about the introverts are probably a little more comfortable at home than the extroverts are. The extroverts are tending to be, you know, can I go talk to the neighbor's dog? Can I talk to anybody? And I feel like uh, for all of us, even the introverts are starting to get just a little bit stir crazy. And so I'm, I think it's interesting to hear where we all are. And I think that that's just going to keep getting more honest. At least that would be my impression of the trend. Scott, what are you thinking? Yeah. I think you're right. I think, uh, asking people the same question over a period of time to get a baseline, the answers probably get more honest over time and you can sort of track where that person is as, a, as opposed to a one-time ping where, <clears throat> you know, to Phil's point, you know, what's their goal in answering the question? Are they really trying to let you know how they truly feel? That's a lot of trust for a one-time thing, you know, or are they telling you what they want you to think of them? Are they just being funny? Some of those sounded like people who were just being funny, um, you know, deflecting the question because they don't want to deal with it. Uh, so I, I think, depending on who you ask, that there's an array of possible motivations for the answer. Yeah. Now, I think that is absolutely right. And the thing is, I mean, it, sometimes in, you know, in a social situation, we are just asking the question because it's just all we know. It's the only way we know how to say hello. How you doing? And then I don't really care what comes next, but it should be about a second long, any longer than it's like, oh my God, I have to process that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you, if you ask somebody that question, they launch into a long diatribe about all their woes and everything. You think they're a lunatic. Right. Yeah, Although I don't know what, asked me that question in my in anybody that would have asked me that over the past few years my you'd, you'd hear that the mildly in front of optimistic is a whole new realm for me because i am known for being a bit over the top in optimism mm-hmm. and this is where i think is as whether you're leading a team or just hanging with family or whoever you're asking this question of you really come back and say whoa something's shifted and now that gives me an insight and whether or not I want to pursue it, but at least now I have a really different insight. So I like the simplicity of this that could actually speak volumes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, are you, I think what you're trying to tell us, but you didn't say it out loud, was you went from wildly to mildly. I mean, that was yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that. I would say that the, the, the wear and tear of this whole experience is, is uh, dragging on. You know, I am a finish line person. I love goals. I love accomplishments. I like getting there. And when you read the paper and go, I don't know when we're done with this. Ah, <laughs> that really fights my, my goal accomplishing person. So I have to really literally reset my mental focus as to what's a win. Yeah. And, and what is going to be, you know, what's a win with clients? What's a win with family? What's a win now? Because the, well, we're going to get the deck done today kind of mentality doesn't work in today's, in, in, certainly not in the work environment, because we just don't know if and when, when this is going to win. We know if, but we don't know when. Yeah, yeah. we don't know what the end of that looks like. But right. the, the, and I'm trying to figure what that balance is. And I guess it's just what's right and present in the moment. Again, the thing I liked about this, this exercise, particularly in some groups, it might force people to kind of give you a little bit of something that, and ask it in a different enough way that it might trick their brain into actually telling you something about them. Right. And it's that thing, you know, where Scott was saying, how do you, 
how can you be genuine with someone without coming off like a lunatic or having to listen to a lunatic, right? <laughs> and I was just thinking about, I, I was just a couple of weeks ago, last time I was in a big live event, I asked a friend, um, Matthew Smith, I said, how are you doing? And you know what? The guy told me a short story and it was like, oh my God, this is so genuine. And I appreciated so much him taking a moment, treating me like a real human being to talk about how he as a real human being was doing without also without loading me up with every bit of baggage that he was carrying with him, you know, and it was just, it was a, a great and interesting moment. And I thought, Oh, there's something to learn here. I'm taking notes, right? How do I, how do I do this? Cause you know, I am, you know, as, to Scott, I think the counter of what Scott was at, but you know, I'm in the habit of when people ask you is I feel like it's my job to appear fully integrated. I'm on stage for most people when they ask me, how are you doing? And so for most people, the answer is, oh man, I'm just doing great. Or, you know, something is, is Scott would say, I'm deflecting or being flippant mm -hmm. about it. You know, I always say I'm cashing checks, just not from you. I mean, I'm doing good, <laughs> but if you were writing me a check, I'd be doing even better. So <laughs> Living the dream. That's one of yeah. my big ones, right? Yeah. That's the yeah. answer. Living my yeah. dream. Can I ask you a question, though, for both of you? Do you think that it's, we've gotten more honest by being online? Are we taking more time with each other real time or less time? Has this, has this made it even more personal or has it gone the other way or has it changed at all? Scott? For me, it's been different for different people. Um, my family, my extended family, my mom and my stepmom and my sisters and all that, you know, we're having a weekly call, a weekly Zoom call, and that's really more and more in-depth conversation than we normally have had with each other. Uh, so that's been kind of a deepening there. Um, there are other people I used to get together with face-to-face -to -face once a week or so, and <clears throat> we've kind of lost a little bit of that touch. I mean, we still talk on the phone or we do whatever, but it's just not quite, not quite what it was. So I, you know, for me, it's just been different for different people based on where the relationship was. Interesting. Thanks. Yeah. yeah I don't think it's, I think, uh, you know, we're all simple monkeys, right? We're the same monkey we were before, but we got whacked again. And so we're confused. And sometimes we might accidentally answer with more truthfully, but sometimes we might be doing less of that. Right. I just don't, I, I just don't know that it, it had a substantial thing, you know, in my mind, it's an indifferent, right? I'm Fair still enough. me. I'm still yeah. me. But, uh, and I think mm -hmm. other people are still them. And uh, I just, I haven't seen a, a bunch of change, but I do think it has certainly uh, knocked a few people off balance enough that they've either accidentally given a truthful answer or they, they're simply careening at every given moment. And so it's another fake answer, right? Just, yeah as their arms are wheeling in the air. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of families are getting together from the, from the that they're having, there's so much more family talk and certainly in our family, that's a great example. We've got people all over the country who are suddenly having conversations that we didn't have before. We never took this kind of time on the phone. And then I'm seeing in business that it feels like it's getting shallower. Now that's very broad stroke, but it just feels like it's got a little bit more to, okay, so let's get this over with because I hate being on camera. Or I hate doing this part. And so that part I think is an interesting, I don't know, uh, just a little observation. Yeah. I, I really don't know where it is. And I'm yeah. glad for both of you kind of seeing that from families. Um, I can't do that. I can't get my family on a video call. 
can't get a conference thing going. Um, it just, I, I just can't make it work. They won't pull up. I mean, some can't, some won't, but uh, we just, I can't seem to break through that. On the other hand, I'm spending a ton of time talking to my professional family, right? I mean, this group of cats that I talk, I mean, we're talking all the time. We're talking every couple of days about stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know how that all works out, but yeah. I think it is, uh, it is interesting. And I think, you know, maybe it, I have tried, I am trying in some organiz- some groups to kind of use this as a pry bar at the moment. Get in here, right? Let's let's have this conversation. And I certainly have known people who were resistant at the beginning, right? They were right. resistant to coming on and doing a video call of any sort because it was too nerdy for them and they were too cool for this. I mean, now that's a deflection, right? They were sure. uncertain of their own capabilities and all the rest. I mean, for God's sake, we spent a bunch of time on here complaining about people on Zoom calls. I mean, they didn't want to be that person that we were complaining about, right? right? right. Coming, uh, mm-hmm. so it was that kind of thing. So I, I think uh, we're, I, I think this is an opportunity and we should use it. And some of this will work and some of it won't. And right. good luck to us all, right? Yes. Good on us. Uh, so two words, you know, you, dear audience, check in with your uh, two words. You can respond in a comment. I'd be kind of curious as to how folks who are listening to us, how are they doing Um and maybe we'll get some answers from them. So I wanted to ask you guys to kind of jump into the section B of this program here. Uh, where are, um, what are you learning this week as you reach out and work with your audiences, right? Your clients, the folks that you deal with, um, what's going on? Scott, um, what's, what are you learning this week? Well, this week in particular, I have, uh, relearned or been reinforced in an old lesson that I've been preaching for a long time. And that is if you're a small or medium sized business owner, you need to have and cultivate a strong relationship with your banker and a good accountant. And that has borne out uh, in spades in the last couple of weeks as people try to go through this uh, payroll protection plan and economic injury disaster loans and make these plans. I mean, the guys that took the time over the last few years to develop those relationships, go, you know, take your banker to lunch or dinner or coffee or a cocktail once a quarter at least and just tell him what's going on in your business and keep him in the loop and have a good accountant that keeps your books in good shape. Those guys are able to quickly go to the bank, get the information go to their accountant, get the information, boom, 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 everything works. And the guys that, you know, they're like, I have a bank, but I have no idea who my banker is. And I don't really have an accountant. I just do my own thing on QuickBooks and it's a mess. You know, those guys are really struggling. So that's one lesson that's been reinforced is that you have to take the time when things are good to cultivate those relationships. They're very important. And related to that, the other uh, lesson that I've learned is uh, the best laid schemes of mice and men gang off the glee. <laughs> yes, uh, they do. <laughs> Robert Burns, <laughs> in the house. That's awesome. Uh, one of my clients that took my advice on this and cultivated a great relationship with their banker, and he was a fantastic banker. I met him at Tech After Five, actually. Um, went out, had cocktails, had coffees, had lunches, everything was great. He ended up leaving the bank two weeks before the coronavirus crisis hit. 
So despite doing everything right, the virus hits and they're with the banker they've never even seen in person or face to face. So, and you know, there's a there's a friend of ours, Scott, that might actually say "weird bithful a rod." Doesn't that? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. Why, why don't you explain that instead that of Klingon? me? Klingon? No. <laughs> <Ooh>. no. <laughs> Close. It is not. Close. Yeah, <laughs> yeah weird bithful a rod. Um, Fate is inexorable. Right. Ah. Uh, is one translation of it. Uh, comes from the uh, the Uhtred books by uh, Bernard Cornwell, but it's actually from an Anglo-Saxon poem, um, probably from I don't know the eighth century or so, Phil. But uh, I don't remember the date either. But it's but I mean I just the idea I know has stuck oh. with both of us. But it's the 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 fate is wholly inexorable. That is, yeah. and I I say that in modern English is the fates will have their way. It doesn't uh, matter yeah. what yes. you do, but the yeah. fates will have yeah. their way. Yep. Okay, it's the same sentiment. <laughs> I want to I want to tuck a question in here because I've had your your clients' experience where we have done the whining and dining and loving loving. We had a banker that, you know, he could. Our expression is he could live on the cul-de-sac. If we lived on a cul-de-sac with five people, he could be one of them. He's that yeah. he's that kind of guy, who yeah. then flew the coop. And since then, our relationship to our bank is we almost every question we get is you know you should really take that to the eight hundred number. And so I think there'd be great advice, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but what are three ways or, or where do people find these bankers? Is it a certain level of bank that has them? What's your suggestion for that? Yeah, so mostly what I'm talking about right now, I'm sure there, there's a personal component to it as well. But for a, from a commercial bank point of view, most of these commercial banks have someone in that bank who is the relationship manager. Maybe they're the city manager. If it's a small bank, it may just be one guy. If it's a larger bank, there'll be a whole team of relationship guys. And your account is or should be assigned to one of those people. And that's the person. That's sort of your advocate in the bank, right? Awesome. So that when this payroll protection thing comes right. and the bank's trying to make a decision, you know, one of the things they're thinking is, okay, but if these guys don't do the things that they're supposed to do to get this forgive, forgiven, and it really turns into a loan, right. what do we know about them? Are, can they pay it back? Do they have, you know, what's their business that, you know, right. if you've got that relationship guy that you've taken the time with inside the bank, he can say in their credit meetings, right. hey, these guys are good, man. I've been with them a long time. They've been through this. They've been through that their deposits are this, you know, and he can be your advocate inside the bank. If you're plugging away in your bank, and this is the third thing I've learned, uh, Carol, so thank you for the transition, and that is the cream rises to the top. And you have seen banks who have hit this PPP thing, which is a, just a, they're trying to create an entire program in just days. I mean, it's, an, right. it's almost an impossible task, and you have seen banks that just, have gotten it, have gotten their ducks in a row, have already funded these loans that are really doing a great job. And then you've got banks that are just crumbling. I mean, they are just in chaos. And um, so if you're, you know, to your point, if you're going and you're trying to build those relationships and you're getting call the 800 number, right. you're not swimming in the cream, baby. It's time yeah. to go call another bank. <laughs> yep. I think, I think this has been proven. Yep. Yeah. 
because I'm getting there emails are differences. with links that are broken and craziness. There, yeah. there are, you know, you think of big commercial banks or medium sized or small, you know, you think of these banks just sort of being fungible, like, eh, you know, they probably are all the same. Well, it's not, we're, we are seeing under stress right now that that is not true. Right. And so if you're not happy with the relationship you've got, you're not happy with the service you're getting, go find somebody, get references, call, call other, call your accountant, call other business owners, you know, who do you bank with and do you love them yeah. and, uh, and find somebody that, that you can, uh, can be a part of your team. Yeah. yeah. I love you that. Know, to your point there at some layer was, there are lots of transactional relationships that we have in our life that if we don't take them to that next level where they become personal, then they're harder. We don't have enough trust built that when it gets hard, you know, those can be brittle, right? I mean, they can break in ways. Yeah. And, and again, yeah. having established it, you also point out it, it's not a guarantee. It's just simply a good way to do it. If you can spare that energy to pull that off. Sure. Um, how do you make that? How do you take it beyond a transactional relationship into a personal relationship? That's right. Uh, and I would say, of, as a as a small business owner, your accountant and your banker are two people that you should consider putting that effort in, and it will pay dividends in the long run. Especially when we're in a, you know, we're not always going to be in a pandemic crisis, but there's might be a time where you need some funding or you need some, uh, you know, you need something. And if you've got those relationships, uh, you know you can get it done more easily. Yeah, no, yeah. I think that's good. Carol, how about you? Anything you're picking up this week from the folks that you're working with? What are you seeing? Yeah, I'm seeing a couple of things. And, and one of them is uh, there's some new opportunities. And I've got one client that has a manufacturing arm as well as an office arm. And what was happening is all of the office people got sent home and the manufacturing people were deemed essential, and so they did not get to go home. And we're looking at the opportunity here to not create a class war, but in fact to be a part of each other's lives. Because the office people got a little bit too comfortable going, oh, look, here's a picture of me by my pool, and here's a picture of me with my dog. And you could, you could almost feel what it might be like to be one of the manufacturing folks going, really? I wouldn't mm -hmm. mind having a picture with my dog. And mm -hmm. so, for one client, we started just really talking about how can you um, cross that chasm intentionally and not because you're being asked to by the other side, but in fact that you're just recognizing we've got people on both sides of this conversation. So I thought that was particularly intriguing. And the other I thing- I love that. Yeah. yeah. The other piece we're having conversation about is the cultural changes. So I have one client who is considered one of the best, you know, it's, it got all the awards for the best companies to work for, who never dreamed of going home. And the leader actually said to me, you know, I had 100 people at home before, and I thought, yeah, no, that's not my favorite model. I think we're going to downplay future. And two weeks later, she's got 3,000 people who are now home. It took a monumental effort to get them there. Everything had to be highly secured. Everything had to be locked down. But now that it is, do you bring them back? Do you have a plan to bring them back? Do you look at the building and go, hmm, that's a pretty expensive little place we've got. But how, aside from the data, what is the cultural difference going to be? And is that okay? And I think that those are some really interesting questions, whether you're an employer or an employee to be thinking, 
how could this, how would this change? This is more than data. What am I doing to my culture if I make the decision to keep people where they are extensively? Yeah, I, I think those are, those are just two great ideas. Let's go back to the class war one first yeah. where you started. Sure. Um, and I, you're, I mean, I know that they're not alone. I'm hearing this story from somebody else where they've got the same thing where they have two classes of folks. And so they're trying to, you know, some will be furloughed and some will stay and how, and how, you know, and there's a have and have not mentality and you never know who's on which side. So I'm asking uh, Carol Hamilton, communications expert, what sort of advice do you give to people like that that are trying to solve that problem? How do you keep this from becoming a problem if you can? I mean, what do you do to mitigate it? Well, the first thing, at least my, my advice was when we had a conversation that was not focused on this, it was on something else. And there was mention of, oh, yeah, well, we've still got a plant that's, you know, that's running. And I said, you've got an open plant and they explained why they were essential. And I, I swear it kept me up all night long. I kept thinking, how are those people feeling? What would it be like to be the person who gets up and goes to work every day and A, is now feeling stressed because we don't know where you and your children have been at night. Am I now at risk for Corona? And B, why am I the one working when all those other guys are up there, you know, collecting their things, they're exchanging these packages. It's a little bit like the, the blowback Ellen got this week of, you know, it's a darn shame your mansion felt like a prison. And so I feel like, I, so I called that person back the next morning. It was a Saturday. And I said, I've just been up all night thinking about your folks. So what are you doing to say thank you? So look, take the example of everybody who's sitting in parking lots outside of hospitals at seven o'clock at night. Communities are coming together, applauding, honking, telling the, the staff, come out and let us say thank you in the best way we can. And so how are you reaching across that that says we get what you're doing? How are you, and so we talked about having, um, this is one of my favorite ideas, was having somebody on the inside take pictures. And we're calling it hero sightings. And now that's what they're posting. Instead of having these, you know, aren't I comfy in my lounge chair, now you're seeing actual people on the line who are being named as heroes. Because yeah. they are the lifeblood of the company that's keeping it going. Without them, there's no company right now. And, and so I think that that message has to be really loud, especially if they're not on the, on the healthcare lines, because the healthcare frontline folks are getting a fair amount of attention. We're finally starting to pay attention to the fact that the grocery stores are being held up for us. But what we're not seeing is these other folks, the manufacturing in particular. Yeah. So that was some of my things, my thoughts. You got to be for proactive. Do not wait until asked. It will never mean as much. Yeah, right. No, I think that's all great advice. And I, I, again, this is not the first time I've heard of stories like this, where you end up with a workforce divided and, you know, a real opportunity for some uh, hard feelings because it feels unfair, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. At some layer, it just feels like they're being treated unfairly. Yeah. Um, help. You're and, the help. Uh, We're the ones who make the company run is the feeling of that, right? Right. And so it's a... Uh, people that is an activating emotion pretty easily right i mean it happens and so how can you what can you do to mitigate that and again i think that whole thing of being grateful showing gratitude man that uh, that can salve a lot of wounds right i mean and just be genuine about it and say you know what if it weren't for you i don't know where we'd be thank you for that 
And I think on the other end of this, and this is all dependent on skill sets and everything, is there a possibility that some of the white collars could come in and pull a shift? Because here's what I'm, the other thing I think we have to look ahead to, anybody that's been home is more rested than anybody who's been working. Even if it's been stressful and everything else, it is a different experience to be at home with your family, not feeling at risk all day long at work than it is to get up in the morning and go, man, I hope the person next to me didn't get it last night and I'm about to bring it home to my family. So I think there needs to be acknowledgement that when we all start coming back, they need some time off or some sort of more than thank you, if possible, something else. And I don't believe in just throwing money at things. There is, there's certainly an argument for hazard pay, but I think it needs to go, it could even go beyond that, which is to say, could we take an hour off or one shift off? Is there a way to give them some just release of time or time off or extra vacation so that they can regroup because this has been massively stressful on that end. So that's yeah. the other thing I think is really important. And every business no. has to look at it for themselves as to what they can and can't do. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, thank you for that. And I think that's a, I, I got to think that there are a lot of other people out there who either have that problem, don't have good answers for it, or have that problem brewing and haven't even noticed it yet or haven't thought, oh, you know what? I better do something about that now. So yeah, I think that's pretty valuable. Yeah. You know, things from my side, things that have been going on this week, um, we have had, uh, I've had a bunch of Zoom meetings, some of them are pretty good size at this point. Um, you know, we did uh, Tech After Five in both Charlotte and Columbia for those crowds. So, you know, we had a number of folks on those calls. Um, I've done other calls, again, just kind of bringing the community together in a couple of ways and participating in others. The thing I've seen is um, people are, as we start out at the beginning of the show, they're all over the place in terms of how they are feeling about the world at this moment, right? So, you know, from the IT community standpoint, you know, I was thinking about particularly last night, you have people who are, um, who just started new jobs. They'd been in it for just a couple of weeks and poof, they get sent home. And they'd just gone back to work after having been out of work for a really long time. So they feel vulnerable and lonely, even though they've got Zoom calls and stuff like that with their coworkers. Yeah, but this whole thing of, again, working from home, you know, I, I'm in the same spot. It's like, you know what, uh, working from home, easy. But I mean, I know how to do that. Having a pile of people in the house with you while you're doing it, that was the thing that's new, right? And so you got to yeah. figure that out. You know, and we had you know, guy on the call last night with Columbia talking about, I never knew there was so much laundry to be done. I never knew there were so many <laughs> kids to be educated. And all, I mean, so he was talking about all the things that he now took on as side duties, right? In addition to kind of being, I can work from home, but I mean, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's got to be done while I'm here. And I'm trying to balance all that as well. That's Can I funny. just say that I'm hearing from women who are really excited about this because a lot of the moms who were working from home felt huge amounts of judgment coming at them for why can't you control that child and what are you doing? Put that dog out, out of the room. And they said now watching the dads come home and go, how have you been doing this? <laughs> so I'm not, a, you know, I'm, I, I don't want to just throw the everybody else under the bus, but I will say, I think opportunity is knocked. And Scott, I think, I'm sorry, I think I might've interrupted you. I just couldn't miss the point. <laughs> yeah, I was, no, that's, that's a, that's a funny point. Um, I was going to say one of my um, clients, 
has an employee <clears throat> that they hired whose start date was the Monday after they sent everybody home. Ugh. So they've got a brand new employee. They brought him on. He's working. He has never worked face-to-face with any of his colleagues. Mm. All of his training has had to be online. All of his interactions have had to be on Zoom. They, other than the interview, he's never even met any of these people. So, um, you know, there are, there are people who were in every stage of whatever is going on at the time all this fell apart. There are, there are couples who had just had the conversation about, you know, maybe we should split up who are now quarantined together. I mean, it's, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on out there. And uh, you, as Phil likes to say, you just have to meet people where they are. Yeah. I do wonder how the divorce lawyers are going to do out through all this because this is not easy. This is, this is very different. Yep. There's two full employment for divorce lawyers and OBGYNs. Yeah. On the way. Both yes. ends of the spectrum, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> full employment. Boy, I'm glad I live alone. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. need either one of those things in my life. Yeah. <laughs> it all sounds expensive. <laughs> it all sounds expensive. Um, yeah, it does. Yeah, so it is, uh, so I just quick learning from a thing on my side, right? So we're doing the tech after five events in the evenings. We've got another one coming up tonight and more in the course of the month. That's all been good and exciting. It's interesting that I am getting, it is again, not data anecdotes, right? But I feel like I'm getting a different crowd than what I am seeing at the live events. And I mean, I, and I, support this by people say, I hadn't been to a live event ever. I get that. Or I haven't been in a while. And then there are some of our regulars who some are there and some are not showing up. And uh, I've got some stories about why I think this is going on. But it was kind of funny. Someone said like, you know, particularly for our Charlotte event, we meet that event, event meets in Valentine. It is very susceptible to rush hour traffic. And so now you have a whole ball of people and they're like, Oh, well, guess what? I don't, I don't have to drive. This is pretty easy. I think I'll show up for that, right? But I think there are, the reason, the folks we are missing, I'm going to guess that some of those we are missing is because, you know, we do this event at 5.30, which typically gets them out of the house, away from their responsibilities of home and all that kind of thing. They're doing a little work thing and then they go home and they pick it up from there. But now they're stuck at home with those responsibilities, right? I mean, they've got... Uh, family and house and all that stuff to take care of. And I think that is probably caused some of them not to quite figure out how at 530, can I justify sequestering myself into a room or on the deck with a beer and uh, just talking to folks who aren't my family when, you know, my family is staring at me going, where's dinner? Where's Yeah. 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 We've waited all day for you. (laughs) I I think that's right. Yeah. So I think I am seeing that, and that's just kind of a learning experience of what we're doing, but that's good. But so a thing is, it's in my mind that I am probably going to schedule, I'm going to keep this up because I think this serves part of our audience, but I think I'm also going to set up a, um, a regular daytime event. 
Mm. You know, where someone, you know, this would be part of their work day, right? Yeah. So maybe they would have lunch with us or something like that. But mm. some, some event where we do something similar in format to what we do with Tech After Five, but it's just, it's done during the day because right now we can do that. Will that be a multi-city event or are you going to do it city by city? I think I would do that multi-city. I'm kind of, I think... I keep the existing events to serve again. I refer to it as skeuomorphic. They're used to that event. They know what that looks like in real life. We're just doing a virtual version of that, and I'm keeping it to look as much alike as the original, just because there are people who are used to that. But as I create new things, I can abandon skeuomorphism altogether and just say, "All right, here's where I'm going to go. Right, I'm going to do this." Spell that. S k e u s k e u m o r f m o r p h i s m. That's the concept that we create things in computers that look exactly like their real world counterpart. So Microsoft Bob was a skeuomorphic presentation of what an office environment looked like because people thought we needed our computer to look just like the desk at our house. Remember mm-hmm. it was a little wooden desk and it had a phone on the side. If you want to make a call, press on the phone. That kind of thing, right? We didn't need that. Wow. Very interesting. And if I'm abusing that word, someone will point that out. That's okay. Not, that's well, okay. I like the whole lunch thing. I actually, we've seen a fair amount of, uh, of programming that's happening that way where it's, it's, it's taking the, the, putting some fun into the lunch and learn concept. So we can't buy you pizza, but we can still have so lunch and laugh or whatever it might be that you're gathering folks together for. I think it's a really nice break in the day. And as to your point, you're not less you're less likely to have your family beating at the door for that one right Uh, yeah yeah so i think we'll do something like that you know we're doing i'm doing this coffee thing that i've been doing which i i kind of moved into the digital world primarily a to kind of keep that up so i can still talk to a few people there's always every week i've always had people say oh i'd love to talk to you can i buy you coffee or whatever say nah tuesday at 10 o'clock i'm gonna be sitting in the spot just join me there and i continue to say people join me there and, uh, and folks are doing it. So I think that's good. It's also allowed me to test um, small Zoom groups, right? So this is typically in the 12 to 15 range, but allows me to test monitor how I can keep a conversation going and not have it fall apart, you know, with a dozen or so people. Um, yeah. Those have worked pretty well. Um, I don't know where I was going with that, but that's where I am at the moment with, with what we're doing with our live events. Yeah, I think um, your theories are dead on. I will, and we'll just continue to test that as we go along and see what people, you know, what people think about what we've got going on. But so far, that's good. Um, and we're going to build some new things. Um, but this has got me to my last point. Uh, so section C of what we're doing today, the C block of today's program <laughs> is uh, what uh, have you, have you guys con- contemplated the idea of what is essential, right? So we've had that word thrown around a lot, you know, because of essential workers and non-essential workers. And there people make lots of crazy choices in the real world about what's essential, non-essential. And I care almost not at all about that. That's political, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't know the care. But I do care about what I allow into my life as essential and non-essential. And again, uh, you know, I'm a but philosophically, right, I'm a Stoic. And in Stoicism, there are no gurus. There are no sages. Everyone's a struggler, right? So in this, I present, I'm struggling with this just like other people are struggling with it. And as I try to put meaning 
into my life, I pull stuff in and say, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this because they all add meaning. And then I find out the old days, like, oh my God, there's nothing of fill left because I've given away a slice here, a slice there, a slice there. And it's kind of tough. So I'm once again, struggling with the idea of how do I determine what is essential? Now I know how I got astray, but I'm kind of curious about how you guys are feeling about this moment in time is is this topic relevant to you at all? Do you feel this at all in your own life? Or, and have you used this time to give yourself focus or have you become defocused in the moment? And how are you going to respond to that? And I'm gonna start with Scott only because I see him nodding and I see a very contemplative look on Carol's face. So we're gonna buy her a couple of minutes and let Scott talk to us about how he sees this. You know, this is something you and I have talked about a lot, um, Phil, trying to eliminate things and focus on what's essential. And I think even for people that have that down pretty well, if you are used to working in an office or you're used to doing it and then now you're at home, there's been big changes, then, um, you know, you might not have that down right. You might be feeling overwhelmed because you're home and you're trying to work, but there's laundry and there's kids and there's dogs and there's whatever. Um, for me, it's not, uh, so much of a thing right now because not much has changed. I work from home anyway. Um, and the things that are important to me that I was doing in the evening, like getting together with friends, I have found ways to replace with getting together with them on Zoom or whatever. But I think um, if you are feeling uh, sort of overwhelmed and not knowing what to cut away and how to get to what's essential, uh, we have talked about going through an exercise where you think about what am I doing that I can automate? Uh, what, what am I doing that I can delegate? Right. And what am I doing that I can eliminate? Right. And I think that's an excellent exercise to go through as you think about, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I got too much going on. There's no, none of me left. Kind of go through your daily life now and say, you know, what am I doing that I can automate, that I can find a piece of software or something that'll do that for me. That, you know, maybe I had those kind of structures in my office environment, but I don't have them set up in my home environment yet. And, you know, what can I delegate? Can I get a, can I get a teen, can I delegate some, some of these chores to a teenager? Or can I go out and find someone who's uh, maybe, for, you know, I have a friend who, um, had a, a bunch of this stuff that he was like, I'm kind of overwhelmed being at home. My house really isn't set up to be home. Uh, I need to, to do a bunch of work right here. And he went and um, hired some friends of his that were laid off uh, wait staff to mm. take some of those tasks off his plate and paid them. And, you know, but there's a lot of labor out there, people that can help you. Uh, there's a lot of automated services out there that can help you answering, you know, maybe your phone's overwhelming because you don't have a secretary anymore. Well, you can, you can get that delegated to someone. And then what can you eliminate? What are you doing? What have you taken on that you just, it doesn't pay well. It doesn't give you joy. It, you know, you can yeah. recondo some things, right? Just say, thank you for your service. Goodbye. Yeah. So I think that's a useful exercise to go through if you're feeling that way. No, well, I mean, of course, that's exactly it, right? So we're, that's, we call that the battery exercise, right? So we start out with the, what's charging my battery, what's discharging my battery. We create, create a T account of all of those things. And then when we're done, we say the stuff that's discharging our batteries, right? Automate, delegate, eliminate, right? So we take all of those things and we move them off to the side. And that is that. So that, in fact, 
I spend the end of my days now kind of writing down, okay, what worked well, what didn't work well, what can I automate, automate delegate, eliminate through that whole, that whole exercise that you and I have done before and talked about. So I'm doing it in miniature at the end of the days. What can I get rid of? What can I get rid of? What can I get rid of? But I thought yeah. if, I, if I feel like this is salient for me at the moment, I wanted to bring it up because I thought it might be salient and relevant for other folks in this moment. That this is a time where you can you're shuffling around schedules, and the question is, is there stuff you should just say, you know what, time for me to put that one to the curb. This no longer has meaning for me. Let me set it aside. Carol, what do you think about this idea? Yeah, well, I think I'm in there with both of you. I love this automate, delegate, eliminate. That's new. I hadn't heard that. I think that's fantastic. What I'm noticing is the rearrangement of time. So that has changed what I can say yes to and what I don't say yes to. So my former life had huge amounts of time in hotel rooms by myself. And so I could actually fill a fair amount of things into that, whether I was exhausted and wanted to do it wasn't even relevant. It was just, I could say yes, because there was time to do it. And this has really reset. In fact, we've had some really interesting conversations this week about how are you spending time versus how do you want to be spending time? And I didn't realize how easily I was giving away time in the past because I had it and it wasn't taken away from my family. It was low value when time to you. Yes, it absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. In fact, in some cases it was welcome because mm -hmm. it's, you know, you get in somewhere for a week and you, you really have got a lot of time at night and this way it's become much more conscious and so instead of doing the exercise of where's your no and why don't you have a yes, it's become much more of what is that going to cost me in family, family time? What is that going to yeah. cost me in hanging out on my deck? Because I'm home now and that's where I'd actually like to be and maybe I don't want to be doing that. I think this is reorganizing my time and my life into a fairly significant degree. Most of the time I'm really happy about that and every once in a while I just get tired of thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, uh, I've run that exercise with some people before with uh, that were feeling overwhelmed, they take on too much, especially low value work, you know, I tell them you can, you can have all the free work you want. Uh, and the idea is to think about when you try to value your time and your work and you say yes to something it's, you know, is this particular thing worth taking time away from my kids? or my wife, right. or my hobbies, or whatever it is I want yeah. to do for myself, right? I mean, you gotta, it has to be worthwhile, it has to pay me enough money, or give me enough satisfaction, or whatever to be, for that opportunity cost, right? right. Like, and you know, to your point, when you're stuck in a hotel in, you know, Bangladesh, right. uh, and your family's nowhere near, your opportunity cost is super low, right? It's watch some rerun on TV or do this. Uh, but now that you're home, you know, your opportunity costs have gone way up. So right. what you can say uh, no to changes, right? right? Yeah. Bigger name on the other line. Yeah. That's oh, right. Word out to my friends in Bangladesh. That's not true. I love Bangladesh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, truly, true? I spent a lot of time there, and it, it's amazing. So, but absolutely, I thought he meant Bangalore. Really, I thought I think he's yeah, just messing yeah, around with yeah, us. But maybe he yeah, I don't know. It is could anyway. be Bangalore, could be yeah. Bangladesh, right. yeah, could be right. Bangkok. 
Yes. But at night in a hotel room on a week, week binge where you're by yourself kind of thing. I love that, that real comparison, because to me, that puts value to it. So now you're giving value decisions instead of following the rules of what's yes, what's no. It's where's your value? And are you missing opportunities that weren't there before that could be? And that's part of the conversation we've been having is, do you even realize what you're doing? And it's like, ah, I've got some habits that I'm that are showing up at home that weren't here that nobody saw before. It's really nice. Yeah, right? yeah I'm not trying to say there's a right or a wrong. Right. Yeah. I'm just saying make a conscious choice, not just an unconscious choice. Love it. Right. Yeah. Well, I think this is all excellent stuff for us to be considering. And maybe this is a good thing we'll come back and talk about uh, this exercise again, Scott, about how we come back and do it. I, I think we've done yeah. something on this in the past, but uh, let's bring Carol into that conversation too. And we can um, talk to folks a little bit more about how we uh, get some focus on these things. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff. We've got a rubric for this, right? We've got, we have tests that we apply. Let's come back and talk about how we figure those things out. But uh, for this time, I think we've done enough good in one day. I think uh, if you when you sit down and journal out the end of your day, what good did I do today? Um, we were courageous and generous with our audience, I hope, and we gave them some good ideas on how to live their lives moving forward into this very uncertain tech space. So. Uh, thank you, Carol Hamilton, for your advice today. Again, remind folks how they come across you if they want to do that. They can find me at Carol Hamilton Live on LinkedIn. That's the okay. easiest way. All right, super. And my pal, Scott Pfeiffer, how do people find you? Uh, well, I'm Scott Pfeiffer on LinkedIn. So hook up with me there and that'll be great. Excellent. All right. Uh, I am Phil Yanov founder of Tech After Five, and I can be found at philyanov.com should somehow you feel like you need more Phil in your life. And I just can't imagine it. But if you do, that's the way you find it. Uh, thanks, and we'll see you next week. So you need to join us for the very next Tech After Five podcast. We're going to do this thing on video as well as audio, but we are going to cover how you can be prepared for your next Zoom interview because the world's just completely a different place. Carol Hamilton, I think, is an expert on the art and science of being interviewed and being a good interviewing subject, doing well at that. So uh, we're going to talk to her. Carol, what are people going to learn when we talk to them? They're going to learn about how to manage the visual aspects. That is a huge piece of what's going on in interviewing. We're also going to talk about how you speak to your resume in a way that actually drives the interview forward rather than just sitting back waiting on questions or reviewing ancient history. And then also just getting specific about how you can present your best foot and so therefore make a valuable, impactful impression. Yeah, demonstrating competence in the remote working technology has become increasingly important. And we're going to talk a little bit about some tips for setting up your visual environment to make a great impression, along with Carol's great tips on interviewing. Yeah, I think this is going to be super useful. Uh, we're going to let you know that if you've got some questions for us ahead of time, go ahead and send those to us on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, emails, you know, you, you get all that information from us. But this is what the next episode is going to be about. We're going to talk about how you can be great and prepare for that next interview that you're going to be doing on Zoom because we want you to be good at this. So uh, watch the Tech After Five podcast. We're going to have some great advice for you.